Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. How are you, buddy? My dogs are barking. Yeah, I was going to say, this is this is take two. Uh, we had a special guest for round one, but we are back. We're going to do some uh, pretty mage, which I'm very excited about. We'll go back to 1987 and some future world. But before we get there, it's quite, quite, quite a lot of stuff that's coming out in the near future. And, and one particular album I know you wanted to talk about for this week, um, and I've got some stuff as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the North Tail album? Yeah, uh, North Tail released their second album, uh, Eternal Flame, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to after their uh, very good uh, Welcome to Paradise debut, uh, Green Day, not related. Um, I found it, I listened to it uh, yesterday, it came out yesterday, and I found that it was almost like uh, a tribute to like all these bands, especially there's uh, a song called The Land of Mystic Rites, which comes right out of the Angra Holy Land playbook. Um, but uh, a lot of really good tunes here. I- I'm going to definitely uh, go back and listen to it a few more times while I work on compiling my uh, best albums of the year list. But uh, I enjoyed this quite a bit on the, the first listen. Um, and... Uh, other than that, um, I just, uh, Amaranth released a new single yesterday called PVP, pretty run of the mill, uh, for Amaranth, pretty good tune. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me this week. I, I ended up spending quite a bit of time listening to Pretty Maids, um, Future World and otherwise. So, yeah, I have to say, I, I haven't gotten to the North Tail yet. You, you sent me the one track. Um, and, and I have to say, at first, I actually thought it was going to be an Angra like medley or cover of sorts because there was just so it was so heavy with the Angra influence, but it was tastefully done. I really enjoyed that track, and if that's emblematic of the album or the different styles that they're going to incorporate here, I, I think they're definitely onto something, and I, I look forward to seeing them live next year. Uh, but I, I have not yet heard the album. I'm going to get to it this weekend, and I'm, I'm sure I'll report back. Um, but there are a couple of other things that I really thought were worth mentioning that I kind of either found by accident or new stuff that's come out that really just kind of caught my eye. The first is a single called Shadow Minds by a band called The Halo Effect. And this is basically a bunch of the guys from In Flames uh, on this album. And it's with uh, guys from Dark Tranquility as well. And, and needless to say, it sounds like a, a marriage uh, between the two. So if you're, if you're a fan of that, like Swedish melodic death metal stuff, you're going to absolutely eat this up. Uh, as I said, the, uh, the album, I believe is due out in a couple of months, but the single Shadowlands has just dropped. So definitely check that out. Um, moving over to Sweden, a, uh, prog band called Mercury X, not to be confused with Mercury Rising or Eternity X or Symphony X or A Marriage of the Three, but Mercury X out of Sweden released a single for the song Sound of Nothing. And it has that, like, I guess we'll call it that melodic prog vibe that, that's kind of the stuff that you like, the melodic prog, like the Circus Maximus or, or stuff like that. Really impressive stuff. And I, I look forward to hearing that album. I, I think I had sent that to you as well. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, good stuff. I, I, I actually, um, I don't th- know if I gave the Halo effect a listen, but I saw a lot of people posting on my Facebook wall about it. So I think it's uh, something that a lot of people are looking forward to. Totally, um, and and it was really well done. So if it's if it's uh, kind of like what the album is going to be like, I think we're in for a treat there. Uh, two other things that I, I think are worth mentioning. A band out of Mexico City, a melodic death metal band called Sense of Noise, released their first uh, full-length 
album. Um, it is a self-titled debut. I believe it came out earlier this month. Uh, this really grew on me. It features um, Bjorn Street from Soilwork and uh, Anthony Hamalainen, who we actually saw at Prog Power with the aforementioned Amaranth uh, doing the, the harsh vocals there. They do guest spots on this album, but it's really kind of melodic... Uh, melodic death metal for for lack of a better word but they they do it well and it's definitely worth checking out i i hope to post something uh from the album this week so if you're into the genre check them out and one last thing uh we got a message from a mutual friend of ours who happens to be the newest candle mass fan on the block there's a band uh called grief collector uh who features former vocalist rob lowe from candle mass and solitude eternus fame they released their full-length album back in june it was called end delirium if you are a candle mass fan check this out it's one of the best doom uh releases that i've heard this year and uh to our to our new candle mass fan you're gonna love this no just uh just really high quality doom um basically it's the second coming of of, of candle mass as far as i'm concerned and, and really well done so just a couple of a couple of items that i think are worth mentioning and then we'll get to um, your your album of the week, which is Pretty Maze's Future World, back from 1987. And, and before I ask, you know, how you first heard the band, why did you choose this album as opposed to any of the others? Uh, I probably because the songs on it. Well, I mean, first of all, Future World was the first Pretty Maze song that I had heard not counting Hammerfall covering back-to-back, which we talked about um, when we talked about Legacy of Kings. Um, but this was like the first actual Pretty Made song I heard. And, and um, several of the songs on the album would go on to be my, some of my favorite tracks by the band. Um, but this was kind of like a, the door opening up for me when um, they were first announced to play at Prague Power USA. They were always that band that I had heard of and literally knew nothing about and wasn't even aware that I actually knew one of their songs, but didn't realize it was a cover. Um and I just, and I know you agreed that like we both quickly became fast fans of this band. Um, and the live, uh, the live DVD CD that they released, um, after Pandemonium was released was a big reason why, because it was pretty much like a, a career retrospective. Um, it was a, a nice length, uh, like live. I've watched it so many times. I think it's at least two hours um, and maybe even a little bit more. So that was kind of my introduction to the band. And and so I also had seen that the last time they went out on tour, they were um, playing this whole album. I don't know if it was an anniversary or what. I know that they played it on uh, 70,000 tons of metal. And then they released a, um, a DVD, Blu-ray, CD, live set uh, called Made in Japan that came out last year which also has um, this entire album played in its entirety. So I kind of figured, and I mentioned this last week, like since I'd never actually really listened to an entire Pretty Maids album start to finish until Pandemonium and, and afterwards, I thought it would be kind of cool to really dive into like one full uh, album. And I'm really glad that we did because I ended up really enjoying the songs that I was not as familiar with. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We both got on the bandwagon here kind of late in the game. Um, I remember in like the early to mid-2000s, there were 
these guys were like famous on the message boards at the time. And I remember, you know, for festivals like Prague Power, where people would often post their wish lists. And there was one guy in particular, I don't remember who it was, but the running joke was that whenever uh, Glenn would solicit suggestions for bands, this guy would just write pretty maids, like every time. I mean, without fail, it was, who do you want to see? Big, bold letters, pretty maids. And there would be nothing else on the list. It was just, he was like pretty maids guy, right? And I had never heard of the band. I thought the name of the band was kind of stupid. And I just said to myself, like, what, what is this and what is going on here? Um, it was around, I guess it was 2010, right as Pandemonium had either come out or was about to be released. And I heard them for the first time. Uh, and I heard Little Drops of Heaven. And I said to myself, have I missed something here? Because I thought that that song was just perfect, especially for a single. I mean, I was blown away by, by, by that particular track. And then I kind of just dove headfirst into the band. I picked up, I picked up the whole album and then I picked up the live album that you mentioned. And I'm, I'm happy that I did because it was really my first foray into the back catalog. And they touched on so much of it that I felt like I was familiar with at least like their greatest hits from, from that live release. Um, but to be honest, I never went back and listened to the full albums, even though this, particular album that you chose is kind of heavy in terms of like they played a lot of this stuff live they played it on the live show that we saw them in Atlanta etc but for some reason I never just took the time to go into like the deeper cuts so good choice uh, let me start there and and I'll just say um it was quite an experience for me I I um I'll get into it you know as, as we kind of dive deep but this was not what is what I was expecting at all and um a little jarring in a way, and and it, my my opinions kind of changed throughout the week. But I, I think you'll we'll get there, we'll get there. But good choice, uh, great band. I've been a rabid fan ever since since I first heard um, Little Drops of Heaven, and uh, it was nice to go back into the archives. Well said. I I, uh, I don't know what took me so long to get to this, but it seemed for whatever reason to be an obvious choice this week. Um, so yeah, I, I it. It's funny. I feel like it's kind of becoming a recurring theme, and, and maybe it's just because we've been doing albums from the '80s, which was, we're still kind of in that vinyl era. But the the talk of like song order has seemed to come up a lot, and, and I, I think it's going to definitely come up again. Um, now, did you have any talks with your uncle Eddie about um, <laughs> when he was uh, producing this album and fell asleep at the mixing console and got yeah, fired? Uh, that was, that was uh, a highlight for me as well. Uncle Eddie apparently dropped the ball on this one and no, he's not actually my uncle, but Eddie Kramer um, gets co-production rights on this album. I, I didn't realize that a lot of it was actually recorded about an hour and a half upstate from me in New York. Uh, I, I always find it interesting when like, European bands come over to the States without much of a following, to be honest with you, and record here. But it, it happens. They were up at um, Bearsville Studios, uh, you know, like I said, about an hour and a half upstate from New York City um, in, in October of 86 and then kind of into February of 87. And as the story goes, Eddie Kramer actually was fired during the recording sessions because he fell asleep. And, and the question I have is what song did he fall asleep to right like to me that's like the, the question here was it what was it that actually put him out um i have my own suggestions and we'll get there but i, I want to know if it's the same thing that he fell asleep to 
Yeah, I'm sure it had nothing to do with drinking heavily the night before. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but yeah, this it was I, that that number one was really fascinating to me. Uh, a Danish band without much of a stronghold in the U.S. comes all the way here to to record the album, but they did, and then it gets released in April of '87, and uh, we're off to the races. Uh, without without kind of delivering too much of a spoiler, I was shocked to find out that this album actually charted in the U.S. It came in at 165 on the Billboard charts, which at the time was kind of a big deal and it wound up selling um, over 300,000 copies worldwide. And what's funny to me is that this band, in my opinion, never really hit it, right? Like they had the sound, they kind of had the look, they had the, you know, obviously they were very accomplished and they've had a very lengthy career, but I feel like they were always under the threshold in terms of just breaking through the quote unquote mainstream. Yeah. My, my understanding is that, um, like there were opportunities that for whatever reason didn't happen to open for, you know, I'm not going to remember exactly who it was, but I want to say someone of like the Guns N' Roses type ilk, um, and because of like, because they had a scheduling conflict or there was always something stopping them because I couldn't believe when I first, like when I started listening to this band, how friggin' good they were. Like there were so many songs that I loved and I was like, man, if I ever took the time to just sit down and listen to all these albums, I think I would be, they would be one of my favorite bands and they still are one of my favorite bands in, you know, despite me not knowing half the catalog, just because of how much I like the songs that I do know. But, um, you know, I do know that, like, that they came close. And, you know, I, I didn't know that they actually charted. And that kind of makes sense that, like, they were on the radar here in the States, especially at a time where, you know, metal is enjoying its peak popularity in this country. Um, I mean, I think they would have been a big hit here, but just for one reason or another, they just never, never made it over. Yeah. It, it's a shame because I feel like they were, it's, you know, the classic story of the band being so close, but never really getting over the hump. Um, but listen, I mean, obviously, like I said, 300,000 copies of this album, world ride world tours, they, they made it, uh, but just, you know, just never to the, to that like Uber level where they just, you know, kind of blew up. Uh, but uh, what's interesting is you go back to these guys actually started in 1981. So they've been around for, what is it, 40 years now? Uh, and, and the two driving forces behind the band are still the driving forces behind the band today. And that's obviously Ronnie Atkins, who we've mentioned a couple of times here uh, on the podcast, uh, who does lead vocals. And uh, Ken Hammer, lead guitarist and, and guitar player extraordinaire, who is uh, obviously credited with a number of the fantastic riffs that we'll, we'll get into in a second. But these guys have been with the band since the beginning. And since then, they've kind of had a ton of guys cycle in and out of the band uh, over the years. But th those two are certainly the driving forces um, behind this one. And, and I guess I'll just mention them here just because, you know, I think it's it's timely. Uh, Alan DeLong is credited as playing bass on this album Phil Moorhead, the drummer, and Alan Owen, who does a great job on the uh, the keyboards on this thing. Um, let's get to it. it. It's it's it is a very very uh, unique album, and, and for reasons which I'll get to in a second. But it kicks off with the title track, right? Future World, which and, and this is I found very interesting. 
uh, it comes out as the single uh, on the al- I'm sorry, it comes out as the second single on the album, but it's actually released just one month before Halloween releases Future World. I thought that was incredible. Like two out, uh, two two bands, two iconic songs, a month apart, same name. Yeah, I mean, what are the chances? And you have to believe that they had no knowledge of each other at that point in time. I mean, I mean, they probably knew Halloween and Pretty Maids existed, but they probably did not know that they were planning on releasing a song, an album called Future World and Halloween coming out. And, and two songs that really aren't very similar. No. <laughs> but, uh, but both iconic for both bands. Um, it's... I remember the first time I heard the song, I didn't think it was that... Like, I didn't like it. I'm like, oh, man, Pretty Maids is going to be another another band that like plays a prog power that I just can't get into. And boy, I was very, very wrong. And uh, it took a few listens and maybe a couple of uh, power hour appearances, but um, (laughs) because there was a music video for this, uh, for this song, but I ended up becoming a big fan of the song. And I kind of like how it, it starts out with kind of like classic, you know, late eighties, like let's have this kind of dramatic kind of intro. It's, pretty short and then it gets right into into business um you know i i i'm gonna have a couple of qualms about how the songs were ordered on this album but i think this was the right choice to kick things off yeah it's got a very iconic riff that kind of stays with you it's maybe the most iconic riff on the album not my favorite but the one that you remember that just that crunchy guitar but I'm, i'm gonna throw something out and i have not discussed this with you usually we don't you know talk about this stuff beforehand because I think it makes for a more interesting um, reaction, but I, I want to throw this out. The keyboards on this particular song, you have a Danish band with these keyboards that are kind of front and center on, on this thing. Can you think of another band that kind of sounds like this, that would come out a few years earlier from the same country? Because to me, it, this track screams another band. I don't know. I don't know a lot of, Swedish bands from well Danish because and and that's the key because think about this these guys are from these guys are Danish to me this track has a very very early Royal Hunt sound oh okay Um, and I'm and I'm wondering if Andre Anderson was like on these guys early and that kind of inspired him in in some way when he started writing that early Royal Hunt material just a couple of years later yeah it could be um it's definitely it definitely doesn't have as much of that prog prog element that Royal Hunt has but. Yeah, the keys are a big part of this album and this band, and it's one of the reasons why I think I gravitated heavily towards them because I just I'm, I love anything that has prominent keyboards. You know, when you can have a keyboard player take the place of an, another guitar player, um, I just think it, it creates this really kind of magical sound together. And, and um, there's a very '80s synth sound going on in this album that I think really just fits the the time and, and the songs that they, they did. But uh, I um, I think that's an interesting, I, and that never really crossed my mind. Um, I will say one of the things that I noticed when I first heard this band was that like, I was fairly convinced there were two vocalists because Ronnie Atkins has this, this, ability to sound like his his harsher and when i say harsher i'm not talking about death vocals but just kind of more of a raspier kind of uh more intense sound versus like his his cleaner sound it it honestly sounds like 
two different guys. And having seen him sing live, you'll realize that like he seamlessly jumps between the two styles. I am. Oh, we got a special guest. Uh, you want to introduce her? Uh, no, she doesn't deserve it. All right. Um, <laughs> very good. Uh, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that. Atkins goes in and out of both of these styles throughout the entire disc. And it's seamless, but they sound, it, it almost reminds me of like Russell Allen when you got like regular Russ and then angry Russ as they, as they call it on a lot of the newer Symphony X stuff. It's amazing to me. I, I am just floored that his vocal, that he's able to do that, number one. And number two, I have to say, I am, I think his voice got much better over time. I am not a huge fan of his sound, at least the non-angry sound, like kind of like the, just the regular Ronnie Atkin vocals on this album. He sounds like kind of young and immature to me in certain places. And I actually think he does a better job singing these songs now than he did 40 years ago, or 35 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. I, I think that like he probably, like you said, his, his voice hadn't fully matured yet. It could also be years of smoking probably helped, uh, you know, get a little bit more. I mean, sometimes it works for you. Sometimes it ruins your, your voice. Um, but um, I was a little bit uh, he- like hesitant. I was worried that like live, you know, when we saw them, it was, you know, 20 years after this album came out, give or take. And, and so um, I-, I was like, how's this guy going to come off live? And, and I thought he was phenomenal. And yeah, I agree that I think his voice just kind of, matured i don't know like i think I'd, we'd mentioned kai hansen before too where like his voice clearly got better after recording walls of jericho with halloween um so yeah i, I uh i like i like his vocals a lot uh, both styles of like that kind of raspy sound and also that clean sound and he seems to have found a, a place in avantasia as well as one of the the recurring uh guest vocalists along with you know michael kisk and uh Jorn land yeah, no question about it. So they go from this like, I don't know, uh, the hardest hardest and heaviest track on the album. They go into We Came to Rock, which is kind of a change of pace when you, when you compare it to the opener. This to me reminds me of something that Dio would have done a couple of years prior on like the last in line. It's just like a poor man's Dio version. Uh, a little bit slower paced, very fitting for the time. Despite repeated listens, I did not really care for the track. Um not that it was, I guess, emblematic of what was going on, where a lot of these 80s bands would just throw tracks on the album to fill out the 40 minutes or the 38 minutes. This to me was one of the filler tracks. And again, we talked about, you know, placement. I'm not sure that it was the best placed track as the second, as the second track on the album. I just felt it was a bit uninspired. Uh, maybe, maybe you care to differ with, with that opinion. Yeah. I think I, I think I agree with you initially, initially. Okay. I'll make up words for the podcast. Um, <laughs> initially but the song ended up growing on me um i really like the the keyboards that they use in the chorus are are uh are very like kind of like and like 80s style anthemic keyboards and i i kind of really dig that that kind of sound i mean i'm not gonna sit here and tell you this is one of my favorite songs on the album because it's not but um I think every time I listen to it, I actually end up liking it a little bit more than I did the previous time. And, you know, I went into this album knowing four songs really well and knowing the rest of the songs not as well. So um, it took some a few listens to to grasp 
but uh, I ended up liking this a lot. And, and I think towards the end, I'll kind of reveal how I think that the order of songs should have been. Um, I feel like this album is a little bit top heavy where um, like three of the strongest songs on the album are going to be of the first four tracks. So um I'll reveal it. I think I sent you that list. I'd be curious to see if you listen to it in that order and what, what you thought. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I thought this was kind of, um, I think this was placed where it, it should have been. Um, just something to kind of keep the ball rolling, but not, not blowing the proverbial load, like right away after starting the album with a really strong song that would end up being a single and a, and a music video. Well, we'll get there because the third track um, love games before I guess we get into this I'll just ask you point blank why is this your track of the week it's the track of of every week for me. <laughs> I love this song I, I I have this vivid memory in my head I was um I was with my friend Caleb and we were driving down to New York probably to see a concert in, in New York City and um we were in god I even remember the town we were in um not Ithaca, New York, but um, well, maybe I don't remember. Um, it was uh, before Ithaca, um, whatever, mind blank. But um, I remember this song came on. I think we were listening to just what like a shuffle of all the bands that were playing at Prague Power later that year. And the song came on and I'm like, holy crap, this song is fantastic. so catchy the lyrics are so cheeseball but um i just love this song so much um i this i knew this was my song of the week before i even announced that i we were doing this album uh i love this song um i don't know that uh, anything even came close to be honest <laughs> with you i i just every time i hear it it puts me in a good mood um, yeah you can't help but smile when you listen to this between like the synthy keyboards uh, to that young, happy Ronnie Atkins sound, uh, the verses, the choruses. I mean, this one just sticks in your head, and it's the one that it, it almost makes me feel like I'm a kid watching a movie from the 80s. Uh, has a little that, bit of a van. Probably your parents probably didn't want you watching. Uh, it's, that's a whole other issue, but you're absolutely <laughs> right. It has a bit of a Van Halen vibe to it, but I, I don't know. It, it's great, but I, I just – in the whole pantheon of these first three albums, you have this crunchy opener. You have this um, – mid-paced song i guess you know that comes next and then love games which sounds nothing like the other two and, and that's when things really started to hit me when i say this was a band trying to find its identity they were all over the freaking map here and i think that like as much acclaim as the album gets 
it's so disconjoined and there's so many different types of songs here. I think that like they're trying to find themselves here because this is only their second album. I don't think they know who they are yet. Yeah, or maybe they just liked so many different styles of music that they were going to they were just like screw it, we're just going to do all of them. Like cuz you're right. It's such a there's so many different styles of songs on this album and and I also think that again I'll I'll harp on the fact that I don't think that the songs were ordered in the best way. And maybe it made sense on a vinyl record, but listening to it start to finish, I feel like um it's not the optimal way to go but i I will tell a fun fun story about this song um when we finally did get to Prague power to see pretty maids uh i will never forget me you and caleb standing on the floor and i knew the set list like start to finish because i had listened to it so many times in preparation for Prague power and i knew where love games belonged on the set list and they skipped it and i was like oh my and i just the whole song was the next song was playing, and I'm just like, Justin, I don't think they're going to play Love Games, Justin. <laughs> Justin, I don't know what I'm going to do if they don't play Love Games. And thankfully, there was some sort of miscommunication between the band stage manager and the festival promoter, Glenn Harveston. And the fest, the, the stage producer, stage manager told the band to just keep playing, even though they were, weren't supposed to. So they crammed Love Games back in right before the encore and they play it. And I don't think you've ever seen me lose my mind quite as I did at that moment. I have very little memory of them playing the song. I have vivid memories of you jumping up and down. Like you had seen Beatles, like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in 1964, right? Like this is, this is how um, giddy you were when they finally played this. And it was actually well-placed in that regard because uh, it, it was, it was the perfect like kind of, end to the set before they would ultimately do the encore. And, and thankfully there was that miscommunication because I, I think you would have needed therapy if they didn't play this live. I think it would have been that, I think it would have been that bad. Um, uh, trust me when I tell you I needed therapy regardless. But. <laughs> no argument for me and a story for another day. Um, fantastic track. Uh, I'm glad it's your song of the week. I'm not choosing it, even though uh, I, I very easily could. I just, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have this one. Tell me your thoughts on Yellow Rain, which is the fourth track, because I have a, I have a lot to say about this one. I love this song. This would easily be my next favorite song on the album, in all honesty. Um, I think uh, that's the reason why when I sent you my like uh, re- my updated list or updated order, I kind of I put Love Games and Yellow Rain as the last two tracks, just kind of pushed them towards the end. I thought that they. I don't, Love Games to me shouldn't be the last song on the album. I think it's a little, a little too like, a little too happy. And this this song um, is this perfect kind of start out slow and somber, and then just kick into like this ass kicking song. Um, like, I think the lyrics are really poignant when you're going from a, a love games where they're talking about casinos of love and and <laughs> whatnot and this was you know this is more about um you know the, being in war or whatever um so to me i i felt like this you take these two tracks and you tack them on at the end and then you push rodeo maybe a little bit deeper into the album, which I think is another one of the stronger songs. And then I think the album just flows a lot better rather than having three of the kind of not as great songs 
finishing. I just, again, like, I feel like the four, I should say the four best songs in this album are within the first six tracks. So I agree. Um, I agree. I think the, I, I mean, I'll get to it. I think the last three tracks are kind of weak and, and I'll get there. I mean, not that they're bad. They're just kind of weak. I want to say a couple things about Yellow Rain, though. The first time I heard this song, it was like a tale of two songs. This is like an ep- the, the quote-unquote epic track on the album, right? It's the longest track on the album, even though it's only about five and a half minutes. The first minute and a half or so is kind of boring, and it really starts at like an uninspired ballad with just the guitars and the vocals. And I keep saying to myself, man, this, you know, we're four songs in here, and and kind of laid two eggs for me a little bit and then the second half of the storm song kicks in and it might be the best four minutes on the album love games aside um it was the second half of this song is so catchy and heavy and groovy um it's phenomenal and and there's this instrumental section where it ends and they kind of go into back uh, back to back for a little bit for like a a hot second so it actually harkens back to the the first album which i thought was a really nice touch. I don't know if it was intentional, but I, the instrumental section I thought was phenomenal. Um, the keys giving like this, I'm um, like this, this ambient sound throughout. I, I loved it. I, I would love to, he- of all the songs on the album, this is the one I think I want to hear live the most that I haven't yet heard. Oh, I thought that they played it when we saw them at Prague power. I could if be they, wrong. Oh, you know what? You're at, you know what? I stand corrected. You are absolutely right. I completely, completely forgot that. I, I, and, and maybe, I don't know. Maybe I had too many uh, beers in me at the point, at that point. But, um, I, I completely forgot because I didn't remember this at all. But that, that, that was my impression of hearing it on disc. Um, it was like a tale of two songs with the first half being really bad and the second half being some of the best stuff I've ever heard. Yeah. If you take love games out of the, the running for me, this is easily my favorite song on the album. And I had, I found myself liking it even more this week, listening to it over and over again. I'm like, damn, this song really holds up. And all I could think of is how much I need to watch this. Uh, I'm probably going to put it on tonight. Actually. I'm going to um, crack open a few brewskis and, and put on the, uh, the, the, the Japan um, Blu-ray with the, where they play this whole album. Now that I really feel familiarized with the entire album, but um, yeah, this song is, is really awesome and, and t- just terribly misplaced towards as the fourth of nine tracks. I mean, this, I think this just makes so much sense as the last song on the album. And, and I might, I may never listen to this album in its correct order. After I agree tonight. with you. This, this, this song should have closed the album in my opinion. And again, maybe we're talking about constraints and having this as like the end of side one, which is why it's placed where it is. And I, and I, I get that with the record. Uh, but to me, this should have been the end of side two or the end of the disc or what have you. This was, this, this was a great closer. Um, the next track is Loud and Proud, uh, and, and this is kind of how I guess Side 2 kicks off, if you will, with this almost like video game-like intro. It's another faster tune, kind of in line with Future World, and I have to say that of all the tracks, this was the one that grew on me the most as I heard it again and again and again this week. Um, the chorus is a bit repetitive as it just kind of repeats the song title over and over again, but the verses are just so good and so meaty. Uh, a, a track that grew on me that I really enjoyed. Same. Um, I feel like the keyboard intro is kind of uh, a taste of what's to come on a lot of future Pretty Made songs. Um, it kind of reminded me a bit of um, Attention, which is a track that's on their um, the album that came out after this one, Jump the Gun. Um, but that 
like late eighties, early nineties era of pre meads that like that just synth keyboard sound is really I- iconic for the band. And I, I love how this song kind of starts out with it. And, um, this is another one that I just didn't like that much at first. And the more I listened to it, the more I just really ended up liking it a lot. Um, I don't know if in retrospect, um, the lyrics can be seen as maybe kind of like, you know, pro LGBT or something. I don't know if that's what they were going for at the time. Um, I'll be honest. I haven't really looked deeply at the lyrics, but that's what it made me think of is just kind of like, you know, you know, uh, we're loud and proud. Like, um, and it's just kind of funny being that the band is called pretty maids that, I initially thought was like a, a, a sex, sexy cleaning service. <laughs> um, so I think it probably is probably more <laughs> like written in a man of war sort of way. Like we're here to kick your ass. We're loud and proud, but that's just what I thought of when I heard it. And uh, it, it's, it's another catchy tune. Um, I, uh, I like this one a lot as well. And, and um it ended up being one of my favorites of the songs that I, I wasn't as familiar with and just has a really like a really nice gallop to it. A really cool, like just a good pace. It's just a, just a really great late eighties, just heavy metal kind of anthemic song. And, and I, I like this one a lot as well. Yeah, I, I agree. It was definitely, definitely the grower on the album uh, as opposed to the next track, which to me is my song of the week. And I'm going to go with rodeo. This is kind of in the same vein as Love Games, but done a little bit differently. It, it kind of opens with a guitar riff, um, and so it makes it like the antithesis of Love Games in that respect. But by the time the verses kick in, uh, you know, I, I had mentioned the the '80s movies with with Love Games. This track could have been on the Lost Boys or the Goonies soundtrack, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Like this is a, such a catchy, catchy, catchy song uh, with the best verses on the album, and just like a really catchy chorus um a crowd favorite live um and it kind of just made me think about how the band has evolved over time because they're not really writing songs like this anymore although they certainly play them live and they hold up but the stuff now is so much heavier um but i I love this track i'll make it my song of the week and i think it's um everyone would be well served to to hear this and love games because they're they're kind of different than the rest of the album but obviously we like them because we chose them as our songs of the week yeah um Fantastic choice. This would be number three for me after Love Games and Yellow Rain. But like all three songs are really, really fantastic. And and along with Future World, I think they make up the the four most 
uh, well-known popular songs in this album. Um, they, I think they played all four of them when we saw them in Atlanta. Uh, this is an awesome song. I love the bridge. Uh, don't, you know, don't leave it behind, go for it. Maybe you'll find that part is so catchy. Yep. The, the keys that are played in the chorus, um, I, I think the bridge actually outshines the chorus. I think it's such a catchy bridge, but um, just another fantastic song. Ronnie just kills it with his his dual style of vocals. Um, just another another real banger, I think, on on this album. And, and uh, yeah, definitely another one of the the stronger songs in the album. But you know, unfortunately, it's kind of like the last really great song on this album um yeah things go downhill from here for, for me um and the, the end of the disc is kind of weak they never really capture the magic of those first six songs or how, however many that you like needles in the dark the seventh track it kind of starts like motley Crue's live oh my God, i was just gonna say that it sounds like like total hair metal like yeah the beginning it's, of it motley to me it's either live wire by motley clue or motley Crue. Or Blind in Texas by Wasp. I hear both songs in there. Not bad, just not as memorable as some of the other stuff. Um, it grew on me a little bit, but for the most part, I, I just didn't enjoy the chorus. Um, and the instrumental section, although I think it's good, I thought it was a little too cheery for the rest of the track, which is kind of a dark tune. It just didn't fit for me, and that's why I don't think it ever fully clicked. Yeah, it, it's uh, you know what? It's funny because I didn't care for the song either. And then it, again, I kept listening. Every single song on this album that of outside of those four that I mentioned before, I ended up really liking after four. I think I listened to this album four times this week. And um, this is another song I ended up really liking. Um, it doesn't reach that upper echelon that the other songs do. But um, again, another like really strong tune. Uh, but again, it's kind of like, I think just the fact that they didn't, they didn't finish the album with like a grand slam that yellow rain or rodeo, I think would have been, I don't know um, if they finished it with a double, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, but, um, this is, I think this is a good tune. It's interesting how the lyrics are kind of about like, um, you know, the world is going to hell and it, and this was in 1987. So stay tuned pretty much. But, um, <laughs> Fast forward, it gets worse. Um, <laughs> the eighth track, Eye of the Storm, is kind of like the real ballad. It, it starts off in, in a similar vein to Yellow Rain, but it never takes off. I do think it's the best of the final three tracks. It almost reminds me of like old Ingve Malmsteen, like we had discussed. Um, I definitely hear that here. They tease picking up the track, but it never quite gets there. Um, kind of a haunting keyboard melody in the background. And again, Ronnie Atkins sounds phenomenal on this track. Not my favorite song, but definitely the best of the last three. Yeah, this one impressed me. Um, it's just because, and I'll tell you, one of my all-time favorite Pretty Made songs is a ballad. It's actually um, it's a cover song. Uh, Please don't leave me. I believe it was written by uh, John Sykes when he did his his solo stuff out of um, Thin Lizzy. Um, and I am going to make sure that that's correct because I would feel like an idiot um, if I. <laughs> if I said the right, you got it. You're 100. Right? Okay, okay, good. It wasn't the pink version; it was the John Sykes version. <laughs> um, so I'm a big fan of Pretty Maids doing the ballad thing, and and this I think was another really awesome, uh, awesome tune. I feel like a lot of um, a lot of power metal bands in the 90s kind of borrowed this kind of 
this kind of style for their their power ballads. I almost got like uh, a vibe of um, the beginning of Scarlet Rose by Ed Guy with that kind of just um, somber acoustic guitar. Um, but yeah, this is like a very somber sounding song. Um, I like it a lot. This could have been the last song if you want to kind of do like uh, Hammerfall did with Legacy of Kings and kind of finish the the album with a ballad and and go out with a little bit of a a more somber kind of sad uh, type of way. Um, I think this actually would have worked better than Long Way to Go, honestly. But I, I still I still hold tight on Yellow Rain being the the obvious choice for a last song. But yeah, this was a nice surprise for me. Probably my biggest surprise of all the songs on the album. Um, Every time I listen to it, I I think I like it a little bit more, but it is like a really classic late 80s power ballad and and very well done. So I I guess other than being misplaced, what did you think of Long Way to Go? I think it's it's a good song. Um, It's very you you mentioned like 80s soundtrack like this i could totally see like uh like the kid going to school at the beginning of like you know 16 candles or something driving the car for the first time huh. just got his license last week and uh it's it's a kind of a toe tapping like um classic 80s tune just should not have been the last song it's such an odd choice to to finish things off with um i like the song i really do i just don't think that um i don't think it should have been the last track i think it kind of leaves you wanting more i wanted to like this track and there's so much here on its own that i do like there are parts of the bridge and parts of the chorus that i like um i like the guitar sound i like the riff and whatnot but when you put it all together, it's a clunker for me. And I don't know why, because I should like this song. I should love this song. But something missed, and I can't even articulate to you what it is. I just think that the, the parts themselves were, I guess, greater than the sum of them put together, which is kind of weird because it's such a short song. Something missed here. And, like, I tried. I just, for some reason, I guess I wanted Yellow Rain to close it because I just – I. I something was missing here and, and maybe it was the placement and maybe it's how it just kind of ends abruptly at the end of the album. I, I just couldn't get into this track. I understand why you like it because there are elements there that I enjoyed, but overall I did not care for it. I, I think part of the problem too, I think the bridge is the best part of the song. Kind mm-hmm. of like, I feel the same way about rodeo. Um, it's just that the rest of the song doesn't live up to that really strong bridge, I think. But like when the piano, you get that piano coming in, um, the bridge really kicks ass on the song, I think. And then it just, the chorus is just kind of meh. And, uh, and then that album just kind of ends. And then you're just like, shit, I, I think I'm going to go listen to Jump the Gun now because I, need, <laughs> like, I, I just want, I mean, I actually, after listening to this album on the first time this week, I went back and listened to, uh, Red Hot and Heavy again, just to get kind of a, um, a little bit of like a counterpoint to, to what the band had sounded like on their first album before this one. And it's a fairly different sounding album. I feel like there's songs like queen of dreams and waiting for the time to maybe my two favorite songs on, on the first album that I think would have fit in on this album, but then like red hot and heavy and back to back. And some of the other songs are like a lot heavier. Like they weren't, as uh, melodic as, as I think they would turn into with future world and, and the albums that came after. But um, this is definitely, I think the band was kind of trying to 
move away from that first album and kind of go more in a, in a more melodic direction. Uh, waiting, waiting for the time is probably one of my all time favorite pretty made songs from the, the first album. And I feel like it would have fit in on future world. Maybe that could have been the last song on <laughs> future world, but that I think that's a really good song. And uh, queen of dreams is another one I like a lot. And, and it's just, I look through these albums and I just can, I pick out these songs like, you know, lethal heroes and savage heart and, and uh, attention and sin decade. And there's so many songs that I love. And it's like, what, I think the only thing that stops me from listening to the, the albums in full is because there's just so many of them, especially in the nineties, they released, they were releasing an album almost every, every year. Um, not just the nineties, uh, uh, pretty much from like future world to pandemonium, they released like eight or nine albums. It, it, it became a little bit daunting to, to go through all of the material. Um, I know I will at some point, and maybe this was a good way to just get that kicked into gear, uh, because I'm definitely in a pretty made state of mind after uh, after this week, and and I really hope to God that um, that Ronnie like recovers from um, his his cancer, and we haven't heard the end of this band because I, I I know that they had to cancel their they were supposed to headline at Prague Power a few years ago, or that was the last time there was a Prague Power, I guess, and that was heartbreaking for me because I was so excited to get them to see them do a headline set. They wouldn't actually have to be uh, cut short and then get, and then anger the promoter when they went long anyway, they could actually just play as long as they wanted that. I mean, for years and years of, of cancellations and, and uh, just crappy circumstances that led to bands, not playing at Prague power. That one might've been the one that, that pierced me the most only because, you know, when it came to like power quest and, and glory hammer and whoever else, I eventually did get to see them play. Um, you know, probably along with Andre Matos, this last pretty maids cancellation, probably be the, the hardest ones to stomach, unfortunately. But, um, I, I was, uh, I was so excited to hear about what your track of the week was going to be on this album. I, I, I thought rodeo was a fantastic choice, but I was really for like, Probably more so than any album I've chosen, this was the one I was most excited to hear which one that you would go with, just because I know there's so many strong tunes on this album, and I didn't know how you were going to feel about the songs that you weren't as familiar with, so um, I'm glad that we had different uh, different choices. I, I almost went with Yellow Rain, because I think the end, the last two-thirds of it is so good, but I decided to go for like the stronger, complete song, although I think that... Again, I'll, I'll just say the last three or four minutes of Yellow Rain is probably my favorite music on the disc, aside from Love Games, which I wanted to give you because I knew you were going there. So I, I figured I'd throw that to you. Um, before I ask you for your rating on this album, and I think we may differ on that, but before we before we go to that, you want to just tell the Ronnie Atkins story again because I think it will be well-placed on this episode. Oh, I I will tell that story as many times as I've I'm asked. Um, just... Uh, after their performance at Prague Power, I was, um, if memory serves, I was chatting with um, the guys from Beyond the Bridge, who uh, couldn't have been nicer. Um, rest in peace, Simon Oberender, who chatted with us for almost an hour, I think, and couldn't have been a nicer guy. And, and he died like two weeks after that. I, I couldn't believe it after... Uh, spending time just chatting with him, such a down to earth and modest guy, considering like some of the stuff that he had produced. And, and I mean, I, I was really impressed. Um, 
But anyway, um, you came running up to me in the courtyard at the Artmore and you're like, dude, Ronnie Atkins is over like holding court at the front of the courtyard. And he's just sitting at one of these high top tables and there's like a line of people like taking turns to talk to him. And I get online and I'm like totally starstruck. I mean, I've been a fan of this band for literally about 10 months at this point, but I'm like a huge fan that turned into an even bigger fan after seeing them perform. And, um, I don't know how, I don't know if he just opened up his arms or whatever, but like, I just went in for a hug and the dude just gave me a kiss right on the cheek. And, and I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Uh, that was, that was awesome. And, and, um, and then I just like, I was starstruck and, and my jaw was on the floor and I couldn't think of anything interesting to say. And I knew I would just embarrass myself. So I just kind of walked away and you come running after me and you're like, dude, did Ronnie Atkins just kiss you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think he did. I was, that was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in my life. So uh. It was so funny, and I have such vivid memories of how that went down. And obviously, you described it perfectly, but he's sitting down holding court. And, and let's be honest, with him sitting down and you being like 12 times the size, he had to lean up to kiss you, but he did it. And it was <laughs> he, he planted one right on your cheek. And I think that he just really appreciated the support because you obviously were not a longtime fan of the band. You had been a fan for a hot second, and I think he just appreciated that. So we wish him all the best in terms terms of his health i would love to see them again i know they played seventy thousand tons of metal i'm kicking myself that i didn't go that year but i'm just hoping that they get back on the road um at some point and i will definitely travel to see them because I, I'll, I'll tell like- you i'll tell you one other funny story from yeah. that same night um i can't remember if it was before or after the uh ronnie atkins incident but um when i was talking to the guys from the beyond from beyond the bridge they had seen uh they had um two vocalists at the time, uh, Herbie Langans, who would go on to, uh, do be in Sinbreed and, um, or he was probably in Sinbreed first actually. And he's done some vocals, uh, most lovingly the singer of, uh, Draconian love on, uh, Avantasia, uh, more recent albums, but, um, uh, him and, and Delenia Marr, uh, who, uh, she was their other vocalist and they would sing together. Uh, God, I, I would, we should probably talk about, the old man in the dream at some point. But um, anyway, uh, so these guys were pretty straight laced. They, they were definitely not drunk. Like they were like very chill guys. Um, and they were like, Oh, there's our singer, uh, Herbie. Let's, int- we'd love to introduce you to him. So they call him over and he stumbles over this. I, by far the drunkest musician I'd ever met in my life up <laughs> at that point. And um, they're like, um, this is uh, Herbie Langens. He's our, our singer. Uh, this is our friend Chris. We just met him. We'd like to meet you. And Herbie uh, said, and I quote, <laughs> and then stumbled away. And uh, I, I hold no ill will towards Herbie. It was kind of hilarious, actually. I think he just, I mean, he was, I think he was drinking during Sinbreed's set, and they were the first band to play that night. And this is after the festival was over. So he might have been, it just might have been a long night for him. But just, a lot of funny things going on in that courtyard that night. And, and that's kind of why sometimes what happens outside of Prague power ends up being more memorable than what goes on at the actual uh, music venue. I love it. And I'm sure that he would probably rate the album the same if I, if I asked him because, you know, it was it, a night to behold. I think we've all been there. So um, shout out to uh, shout out to Mr. Uh, Langens. I, I want to ask you one to 10, what what is the ranking? But also, is it what you expected going into the week? Because I feel like that might have changed as well. Yeah, it's funny. Like it's 
almost exactly what I expected going into it. And then it kind of dropped <laughs> at the beginning of the week. And then it right. And then it, by the time the week was over, it was right back to where I kind of was hoping and expecting it to be. And that would be an 8.5. Um, I just think that um, the, the order of the songs and the length of the album being fairly short kind of lost a few points for me. But other than that, I think it's a pretty fantastic album. And, and I think that if you listen to it in this order, and I, I'll post this um, during the week, but if you listen to it, Future World, We Came to Rock, Loud and Proud, Needles in the Dark, Rodeo, Eye of the Storm, Long Way to Go, Love Games, Yellow Rain. I think that it just flows so much better. Um, I think that you have these, the waves where like the high points and then the points, you know, the not as high, I don't want to say low points. I don't think there are any low points on this album, but not as high. I just think that it creates a, a more uh, even, even listening experience. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Really good. I would like to really like dive into their entire discography and f- kind of figure out is this my favorite Pretty Maids album or not? Um, I think we should do um, one from the latter era. I think we yeah. should at some point maybe do the Pandemonium or something like that because that's kind of how we started getting into it. And I wonder with revisionist history if it holds up as well as we remember it. I was a huge fan of Motherland, which was the follow up to Pandemonium. It came out in 2013. I think Wasted. You want to talk about the last track? That was a track where it was like, damn, that was such the right call. It's the best song on the album. It's this mid-tempo, really dramatic, really emotional tune. But I love this whole album I thought was fantastic. It was really my first like get like my first pretty means album that I got like the day it came out. Um like and it's I, I love it. I, I thought that the following albums were also really good i've always i just i've heard people say they think that like later era pretty maids is actually better than their older era which i mean they've stood the test of time their first album came out in 1984 so um it's just one of those things that for years it's been in the back of my head like you have to you have to really just listen to everything and just become like a pretty maids expert the way that I am when it comes to Halloween or sabotage, where I could talk about anything, any era, any album, any song. Um, I think that this could be like a top five band for me. If I just took the time to, to really delve in and, and getting to listen to um, future world and red hot and heavy again this week, I think definitely kind of got the ball rolling. Well, I, I, I have to say, I, I think I'm a little bit more partial to the newer stuff, and that's why I want to go back and, and listen to the, some of that stuff. This, to me, was a 7.5, and the only reason I didn't go higher was because the end of the album was just weak, but I, I did take the time to listen to it the way you just mentioned, and it actually makes it a little bit better, but I have to rate it the way it is, and that's why I'll give it the 7.5. Um, but I think that when you tweak it a little bit it actually makes for a better listening experience and again i'm not turning the vinyl so maybe that's part of the rationale here but when you listen to it either digitally or on a cd it's a 7.5 and there's some real real great stuff here and then some other stuff which while not bad isn't as memorable but great band uh has withstood the test of time and and somebody we should definitely talk about in the future but you Um, know what like even if even if you were listening to uh, to it on vinyl wouldn't you want 
wouldn't you want the sides reversed? Like, so I, I just looked it up and, and on vinyl, uh, the, it's, it's future world became came to rock love games. Yellow rain is side a and side B is loud and proud rodeo needles in the dark eye of the storm and long way to go. I sure. feel like, I feel like that actually kind of works. If you, if you flip it, if side a starts with loud and proud ends with long way to go and side B starts with future world. And then you end with love games and yellow rain. It's not terribly different from the, the list that I put out, but I feel sure. like if you do it that way, I think it, it kind of works better. Um, but again, you know, just uh, my BS opinion. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we, we appreciate it. Um, something to think about, try it both ways. Let us know your thoughts. I just want to get to a couple of news items this week that I think are, are worth mentioning. Uh, the aforementioned Dark Tranquility have announced a uh, U.S. tour with Cataclysm and Nailed to Obscurity. Uh, I believe it kicks off in January. So we're getting close. Um, I think it kicks off in January, in January 28th in Asbury Park. And they actually run uh, a full circle of dates back into mid-March. Uh, where they come back to New York, a band that I have not seen live. I'm actually kind of curious. I'm going to try to check that out in March, um, along with another, uh, another, a number of other shows, uh, this, this spring. And also Machine Head, uh, the Bay Area, um, heavy thrashers and kind of just a heavy, heavy, heavy metal band, uh, who has been around forever is, finally releasing their new album uh, next summer. So I, I look forward to hearing that as well. Uh, they had released Arrows in Words from the Sky, a single back this past June, uh, another single in November, My Hands Are Empty. And uh, I think we can look forward to a number of these tracks on the on the, on the the disc to come out next summer. So if you're a fan of Machine Head, something to look forward to there. Yes. Any, yes, uh, there any, is. Any news, <laughs> any, any news from, uh, from your end? Uh, it's a couple of things. Uh, I, I just found out about this and it is going immediately on my, actually two things going immediately on my, my wish list of items. Um, Pretty Maids apparently has a uh, autobiography that's coming out that is going to be um, in both English and Danish, I believe, or Swedish. Um, I forgot which, but um, Danish. it should be, I think Danish. Okay. So um, I, Almost bought it just now until I realized that the shipping would cost two thirds <laughs> that the book huh. cost. Um, and then I also I tried to look for um, Pretty Maid's book and just came up with Pretty Maid's all in a row. Um, so I'll, I'll have to dig a little deeper. But uh, that's something I would be really interested in in reading. The other thing is that um, Sabaton has a, a double DVD Blu-ray live concert uh, releasing on November nineteenth. Uh, it's two shows, the great show and the 20th anniversary show. Um, uh, one of them, the 20th anniversary show was, uh, filmed at Bakken in 2019, uh, for their, thir- um, yeah, for Vakken's 30th anniversary and Sabaton's 20th anniversary. And then the great show was a 90 minute show that they did at the O2 arena in Prague in, uh, January, 2020. Um, this looks super cool. Um, the, 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 on the 20th anniversary show, Tabby England, uh, comes out, a former member of Sabaton rejoins the band for a couple of songs. Uh, Tina uh, Guo, who is the, um, the cellist, uh, she comes out for the encore. And then at the Prague show, uh, they do, uh, several tracks with Apocalyptica, which I think is really interesting. So this is definitely a, a must buy for me. And apparently there's like a, 
a deluxe set that comes with a build your own Sabaton uh, stage set with Legos, which if that doesn't put it over the top, I don't know what the, yeah, I may have to buy that edition. Cause that just looks super cool. Um, they're not real Legos. They're definitely like uh bootleg Legos, but still um, it, it is really cool. I would like to be a man who owns a Tommy Johansson Lego figurine and uh, talk about loud and proud. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, so uh, that's something I have to figure out how I'm going to get my hands on that. Um, I didn't realize it was coming out so soon, and I feel like it's been a long time since there's been a concert DVD or Blu-ray that I've been really excited about getting. So this is um, – I have all of Sabaton's live DVDs and Blu-rays, and they're all so much fun to watch. And they just get more and more uh, – more and more epic with tanks and, 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 and all the fireworks and histrionics that go along with it. The longer that they, they stick around and they make more money, they can spend more money on, on putting together. It, it beats the hell out of, uh, us seeing them with 19 people in Rochester. I was back <laughs> at that, I was back at that venue last weekend, actually. And it just blew my mind that I had seen Sabaton in front of like, uh, had to be about a hundred people if that, and exactly. that might have even been generous, but, uh, that is something I'm looking forward to. And uh, my final piece of news is that um, the Prague Power USA Festival has announced that, unfortunately, uh, Green Carnation, which, correct me if I'm wrong, they were a replacement for another yeah, band. Yeah, they, they I not? think they were, if I'm not mistaken, I think they actually were going to replace The Gathering, and now they themselves are getting replaced. No, I think The Gathering was replaced by Ray Alder's solo oh, You set. might be right. It's... <laughs> It's 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 been a year. It's been a year, but we where uh, I believe that they are now Green Cartation going to play in 2023, and a replacement has been announced for next year. Yes, the replacement, as I read it, was uh, Justin Bieber and the Baron von Raschke Orchestra, <laughs> and it is the Claws and White Claws tour. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's actually Jason Beeler. I so many people I saw posted that they saw it said Justin Bieber and, um, I believe he is the guitar player, uh, for Jeff Scott Soto's Queen set. Um, yeah. And uh, formerly of Saigon kick, uh, fame. Yeah. I know nothing of this man and his orchestra. Um, I was actually disappointed when it wasn't Baron von Raschke, <laughs> who is still alive, by the way. Um, that's, that's a podcast for a whole nother day. Yeah. So, uh, that's something I'm going to have to dig into and give a listen to. Um, I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm expecting that there's probably going to be some bands that drop out due to visas and COVID and whatever else. But at this point, I'm just ready to go back. It's going to be two and a half years come June that we'd last been. And so in all honesty, like as long as everybody comes uh, friend wise and we get to see some good bands, I don't really have any expectations. Like I'm not going to be super, you know, power quest, notwithstanding, I'm not going to be super disappointed if anybody drops out. Like at this point, I think anything we get is a blessing at this point. I completely agree. And I look forward to it. And I don't think I've looked forward to it this much despite or in spite as the case may be the lineup, just because it's been such a long time coming. Uh, but I, with, without further ado, I think it's time to pick an album for next week. And as I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I had an album picked out. Uh, I changed it. I called an audible with ACDC because of the Braves and the World Series. But we are going to go back to the album that I had originally wanted to select a couple of weeks ago. It is an album you've never heard of. It is a band you've never heard of. And uh, I, I just cannot wait to see your thoughts or hear your thoughts 
on this one. We have not done any black metal on this show, and it would be so easy for me to pick Emperor or Mayhem or any of these uh, black metal bands that you may have heard of or even maybe know a couple of songs by. We are not going to do that. We are going to go back to 1995, and we are going to talk about the album Storm of the Lightsbane, which is the second full-length album by Swedish black metalers Dissection. And there's a reason why I picked this album, and I, and, I, and I see your face, and I am smiling because I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this. But the reason I chose this is these guys are actually considered like the forefathers of quote-unquote melodic black metal. So I figured if we're going to dip your toes in the pool, we may as go into the right side of the pool because uh, while some of it is extremely uh, abrasive and hard to hard to get into, these this is some of the more accessible black metal that's out there. And I figured, let's go back to 1995. And there's another reason I chose it. I'll get into that um, some other point when it turns out when I talk about why I or how I first heard of these guys. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly curious to, to hear your thoughts. And uh, I know you wanted to listen to some of the newer stuff that had come out this year to kind of catch up. You may have to put that on pause because I think this is going to take a couple of listens. Justin, I'm scared. <laughs> as well you should be. Um, something different next week as we as we do our first black metal album a year plus into the podcast. But uh, I'm looking forward to it in its 43 minutes of glory. So with that, thanks to everyone for listening. We, we appreciate uh, the feedback and whatnot. Leave us a, uh, a review on iTunes uh, or any of the other podcast platforms. It helps other people find the show. And we will return next week with some um, Swedish black metal. If my girlfriend leaves me while I'm listening to this album, I'm holding you personally responsible. That's okay. I, you can tell her I chose it. You get to you get to come back with something the following week and and, and really put the screws to me, if you will. So enjoy enjoy the week, and I will uh, touch base with you soon. Okay, I'm gonna queue up uh, John Sykes. Please don't leave me <laughs> before, for right after before you put before you put up before you put on the uh, the black metal. Yeah, a cry, enjoy, a cry, a cry for help. Please in, enjoy. I have a feeling you you might not, but we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. I'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, take care. This is Welcome. going well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to count to five again and just we'll edit out the first 30 seconds. Woof. Carrie, you dropped the plea.